Welcome in, everybody. Good. All right, everybody can hear you. This is fabulous. Fantastic. All right, we are going to jump right in because uh, we've got somewhat limited time. We've got about an hour uh, with each other here, and I want to make sure that we utilize all the time we have. I first want to start by saying welcome to everybody who's here um, and also welcome to you, Dr. Gerner. I am Thank thrilled. You. And honored to have Dr. Gerner join us. Um, she is a person I highly respect uh, and have gotten to know over the last couple of years. We were just talking before we came online uh, that we have not, we did an interview back in September 2019 and haven't really had a chance to talk since. And it's just so lovely uh, to finally be able to chat with you again and do this. And I am really grateful that you're taking some of your valuable time to hang out with us and to be part of this. So. Um, I want to give every I want to give you a chance to sort of introduce yourself and say hello, and then we're going to kind of jump in. I'm going to take questions that we got over the course of the last week, and then uh, we'll just you and I will just kind of chat about something that I know you and I share a lot of interest in. So, uh, absolutely, thank you so much. I, I so appreciate being on your stream. I love uh, talking with you, and every time we've been able to chat and hang out, I've always had a great time. So. Uh, for those in your audience who don't know who I am, my name is Dr. Julie Gerner. I'm a doctor of clinical psychology, but I also use my degree in business and I'm technically an executive performance coach. So how I operate and use my psychology degree in the space is really with executives, founders, people in finance, tech, and people who are in really high stress, high pressure with the expectations of really high performance who get stuck and maybe need some help getting to be the person they know they, they can be. And I think, you know, at its root, I think most people, even, you know, whoever you are out there, you probably know deep down that you have the potential to be more than where you're at right now. And my job really is to help people get from like, kind of where they know they could be to that place where they want to, to get to. And so my job's really to unlock that. And so I'm really happy to be here and share some of the tips that I share with these folks as well. I'm that's super awesome um, that you're willing to do that um, because you are I know that you are a pretty hot commodity and so it's fabulous to have the opportunity to like have people chat with you in this format I actually wanted to start by asking you because I have a sense that anybody who watches me a lot who's here sees on screen the words executive performance coach hears you say that and has heard me kind of talk about coaching um, and like yeah. particularly life coaching and not the greatest way. And I wanted to yeah. get, ask you if you could sort of differentiate for folks in chat kind of what it means to be an executive performance coach and like how that's actually like a very legitimate thing that people do. Because I'm guessing there are people that are watching going, wait a second, Dr. Mick brought somebody with the name coach in her title on, what is this? And I, I just, I wanted to sort of like clear the air on that because uh, I I know I'd be asking that. And I, and I also too would love to hear kind of the way that you describe that because what you do is legitimate. And oh, I, I, I wanna make sure that people know that, so. Yeah, I also have a very negative connotation of coach and it took me a long time to add that into my own title because I have that, that feel about it. And I think a lot of people go into things like life coaching, et cetera, who are not qualified to give psychological advice and end up giving a lot of psychological advice. They're untrained, they give bad advice and people ended up end up having bad outcomes. And they, they kind of don't know how they got this terrible outcome. And when they hired someone they thought was a professional, but really has maybe a three month online course for training. So 
you know, there's no, no qualification to kind of call yourself a life coach. Where I get into executive performance coaching is that, you know, executive performance coaching is not a terribly regulated area. But one of the things that I think brings a unique value is that, you know, what you look for for executive performance is how individuals can function at their best in the roles that they have to play. And who do you want to hire to do that? Do you want to hire someone who's been a former founder? If you need someone with help in your business, that's probably a good way to go. You know, they've structured the business before. They can coach you or walk you through how to structure that business. If you are looking for executive performance, you're looking for somebody who has a background in probably uh, human performance or psychology. And so you're, you're literally looking for someone like me. And there's a reason why you know, it's such an embarrassing thing, but like the Wall Street Journal compared me to like that Wendy Rhodes character in Billions, which is embarrassing because I'm not a dominatrix and I'm not <laughs> somebody who is quite as unethical as well. But the point of that is that people with highly specialized psychological backgrounds, she was in psychiatry, I'm a doctor of psychology, do advise people in business to help them unlock human behavior problems because a lot of the problems in business and if you're at a job you know this the problems with your boss are probably not technical problems they're problems in personality they're problems in how they they communicate they're problems in how they you know solve some of the dilemmas happening in your workplace so who's really qualified to do that and hiring someone with a psychological background has become increasingly popular so you want to always look at the background of the person you hire for the role that you're getting into. So executive performance, I think it's legit. Uh, but just like any other industry, you want to make sure you hire someone who's the best fit for that role. Absolutely. That's, I love that. Uh, I had, I, I've had people mention the, um, the, the billions, uh, reference. And, uh, I love that you, <laughs> I love that you just <laughs> mentioned that. Cause I know that that that's one of the, the major kind of portrayals of that. And so, uh, I know we run into all the time issues with the ways what we do are portrayed oh. in the media. And then we, it's like people come with certain levels of expectations of like what we do and what we're like, and that can be such a pain to, to have to get people to unlearn what it is yes. we do. So I, I appreciate so much your description of that. And I, that sort of leads me to I'm by the way, I'm, I'm sort of asking some of my own personal curiosity questions first, and then sure. I'm going to get into chat because I just I love having the opportunity to talk to you about these things. So like when people seek you out at this point, they are very much seeking you out, I assume, because they're thinking about their high level performance. They're under high stress. Right. They're trying to figure out how to navigate that. And when people reach out to you, like what are sort of like the major things that you find that people really are either like lacking in or need to beef up when they come find you that you really add value to their lives and assisting them in working through? I think that people at certain levels, there's a few different things. That's a really good question. I think people at certain levels are surrounded by people, number one, who don't tell them the truth. So you have like someone who's a CEO of a company and they're surrounded by people who have a vested interest in keeping that person happy and making sure that person is pleased and making sure they feel good about their decisions and the job that they do. But when you do that, you kind of also facilitate their blind spots. And so they begin to have these struggles and frustrations and they kind of, they often come to me and they'll say, I'm really, really frustrated and I don't know why this thing isn't changing or I don't know why this thing isn't happening or I don't know why I can't get my point across to somebody and that frustration is just really a signal that kind of they should be doing something a different way, but they're kind of seeing it as this is a business problem. This is a, you know, my executives aren't listening to me, but oftentimes people don't listen to you because of how you give the message, right? So 
there's a lot of different frustrations I think they come to me with that then, you know, because I do tell them the truth and we have some really candid conversations, we're able to really navigate and get into like, oh, this is a communication problem or this is a problem where, you know, people aren't feeling appreciated or they aren't feeling heard or maybe you need to focus in a different direction or you need to build a different skill set or you need to double down on something. Um, but a lot of times what's so fascinating to me is that they have the same problems that often you and I have as well. For example, avoidance, big issue, right? Like we all have certain things that we don't like that stress us out that, and we avoid it. It causes us stress and anxiety. Um, and they do the same thing with the same consequences just at a higher level. So it's getting into some of those things that uh, make the work really fun and unique but the humanness is kind of the same thread throughout. Sure. And I, so I love that you bring up avoidance because whenever I'm, I mean, I severe and debilitating and performance anxiety are things that obviously I work yeah. with as well. And avoidance is something that I'm always talking with people about. Like even on stream, we, we talk about it as being one of like the absolute worst things you can do in response <laughs> to like anxiety and when you're struggling. And so people hear me talk about this all the time, but I wanted to, I, I would love to hear how you, Think about avoidance and how you work with people through avoidance, because I know that really, I'd argue probably all of us usually initially think that avoidance is the way to go, that if I can just get away from this, I'm going to do better. And you and I both know it absolutely doesn't make it better. And so I, I would love to kind of hear how you work with that, how you conceptualize that and kind of what that means for the work that you do. Sure. I think that, it, you know, we're always drawn away from pain. And if we can avoid pain briefly, it gives us that moment of, oh, I don't have to deal with that right now. And it is a microsecond of pleasure that we're getting from that moment. Yep. Um, but, you know, when we get that moment, of, that's why we're doing it, right, for that moment. But what ends up happening is what I call like an increased cognitive load. It's like a cloud that ends up sitting over your head. And here it is, right? It's just, and it begins to stack because now you have that thing you've avoided. And now something else is going to come up and it's going to stack right on top of that thing you avoided or it has implications down the road because you avoided that one conversation now three things down the road are unclear not happening properly or you know all of these other things are in motion so you know my way of kind of addressing this there's a number of different ways one is that i want to get into why are you avoiding it you know what's the trigger what's the what's the fear what are the thoughts around that and i really dig into that a bit uh because there's always a reason that people avoid things but secondarily once we get into that reason why you're avoiding it i think that we want to get into how can we break this down so that the one small piece of it that you dive into is palatable and seemingly easy i don't want it to be hard for you to get into or make it this big scary task I want it to be super easy, super accessible, doing one small piece. And just say that you needed to, I'm going to try to, to make it like a, a simple example. Let's say you wanted to have like, oh, I need, I know I need to throw up a website because I'm making NFTs and that's really important, what have you. So maybe you decide, well, you know, building a website's so big. I'm just going to avoid it, avoid it, avoid it. But what if you, you know, choose your domain name? That's all you do one day. Or the next day you decide, well, I'm just going to, I'm going to choose my WordPress theme. I'm going to do that. Um, and schedule in really small, bite-sized, like so easy tasks that they don't even seem like they should be on your calendar. And you begin to make motion on these things and you kind of do it without trying. Uh, and it kind of also begins this effect where you start the ball rolling and, and you become uh, more motivated to get things done. Like you could see the momentum, you can kind of jump on that because momentum is really magic. And once you start having that happen, it's exciting. You see where it's going. 
it doesn't seem as hard once you've taken some big pieces out of it and uh, the task doesn't look as daunting. And the small manageable goals piece, I want to, I want to return to that in a second, but before, because that's such, such a, it's such a huge aspect of it in terms of like yeah. getting people a sense of like, okay, I can do this. I can move forward because I tell people all the time, you don't want to rely on motivation. You, you really want right. to rely on that discipline and you want motivation to catalyze that. I, I, I'm thinking about like people who might be watching this, who maybe they say to themselves, you know, uh, there are these things I want to do. There are these big tasks I want to do. And even when I do break them down into small manageable chunks, maybe it is something yeah. like creating the domain name or whatever. I, I, it's still just so hard for me to do it. Yep. And I'm sure you run into that all the time as I do. Yeah. And I, I'm curious sort of like, what are some of the major resistances that you tend to see? And how do you work with people through those resistances? Even if it seems like this, this thing has been brought down to a manageable level. You ask the best questions. I think that they should just require all interviewers to be like therapists or something. Like that's it helps. <laughs> I have never had that question before, and I love it because what it comes down to, to me, is self-definition. And what I mean by that is like, how do you define yourself? I hear people all the time say things like, "I'm lazy." Well, if you tell yourself that you're lazy and you define yourself as a lazy person. Um, yeah, the lazy person doesn't take that action. So you're working against yourself. You're defining yourself in a way that handicaps you. But if you say to yourself, like, I'm a work in progress, and you know, I might not always get it right, but this is, I'm kind of this work in progress. That guy is much more likely to take the action. And I think about it even with larger scale things like smoking, right? So let's look at this one thing that takes a lot of discipline to begin to break. And you know right away, if somebody goes, well, you know, I'm a smoker, I'm, you know, like that's who yeah. I am. Um, as soon as you hear that, you should say, oh, like it just makes my heart hurt when I hear stuff like that because I know they're gonna work against themselves. And if that doesn't shift, they're the person who decides, well, you know, I can smoke on, you know, after I go to the bar, I could smoke on the weekends. Or, like that isn't the person who's gonna say, look, I'm done with this behavior. I made a decision, I'm never smoking again. There are those people out there. And I love when you meet those folks who say, you know, I've made a decision. Maybe I used to be a smoker. I like hearing that, but I'm not one now. And I'm going to make a decision. I'm never going to touch it again. And those people can be, they're so inspiring because they've changed how they're defining themselves. And then that makes the choice of everything. It determines everything else because people try to be consistent with who they see themselves being. And so when you see people who are struggling with these behaviors, like, you know, oh, I just can't get it together to get up in the morning and exercise. You know, I'm such a lazy person, right? Lazy, lazy. And you're going to stay consistent with that because you see yourself as a lazy person. You got to change that first. So when I see people who are struggling to do the behaviors, I start to look at who do they see themselves as and like, who do you want to be? Like, let's start getting into that because that's really going to be what drives um, every other decision moving forward. And when people start to achieve that like let's say there's that person who makes these value attributions is i right like a value attribution that you make about yourself becomes an expectation and then you're gonna Great try phrasing. you're gonna try to like fill that with all these experiences that confirm that because it's way easier right. for us to do so when you when you find that people start to make that change um yeah. i know in my experience i have noticed at times that that even comes along with it a level of anxiety for people that like yeah. now all of a sudden if i start saying something like i'm capable 
or I'm a I'm a former smoker in this case because I swear yeah. smoking cessation is one of the hardest things a human being can do. I swear. Yeah. Like agreed that there's an anxiety that sometimes comes along with this idea that we're going to actually change our narrative and that you actually have the power to change that narrative like literally right now. You don't you don't have to continue to be slave to that narrative. Yeah. At all. That anxiety I have found to be a very like unique anxiety that a person experiences. Okay. And how is there sort of a way that you work your way through that and help people reinforce that new narrative for themselves so that they start to be able to carry it on their own so they're not overly relying on you for that boost every time that the time comes for it? That's a good question. And I think that it depends. I, I've seen that, you know, when you look at it from like a clinical level, I think that it's very different in looking at someone who says, I try to give them, um, you know, if they're, they're at a person who's like doing well in life and they've been successful in certain areas, I try to tap into what are the moments of change they've had in the past and how did they navigate those successfully? Like, tell me when you decided to start your own business. Like, what are all the fears you had? Tell me how you changed that. Like, you didn't grow up wanting to be a business owner. Like, when did you decide? Like, so tap into that for me and have them begin to tell me about those winning moments or when they've done that successfully and then bring that to the present and say, all right, now you're making a big decision today. Does it feel like, I know you had some anxiety when you first decided you want to start a business. You're such, in such an amazing place today. How did you get to that place? And now let's leverage some of those tools that you've used successfully today and help you move forward from there. Oh, I love it. I just, I love it. Cause as, as you're saying that I, I'm thinking about, I, I think, um, I, when I was at Northwestern, I was a, when I was an assistant professor there, I taught the models class and hearing you talk about this, I'm already like, I'm sort of picking up on this, like, okay, what is, what's your framework for how you're moving people through this? And there's like elements of different theories that I'm hearing and what you're yeah. saying that I love, right? Like, like it's that, yeah. well, you know, looking for those exceptions or, you know, unique outcomes as some models will, will conceptualize them. Like, it's amazing how that moves people into a space where it kind of empowers them. They like look back on it and they're like, wait a second. Yeah. Like I have accomplished a lot of stuff. And you go like, well, what does that say about you? Like I, the fact that you were even able to do this, that you're at a point where you own this business or that you've gotten to where you've gotten, like that obviously says something that we can use to create some of this alternative ex uh, expectations of yourself. And so I just, I, I, man, like hearing that is just so awesome because it, this, and this is, I, I sort of say this to drill a point home for chat that like, you know, back when you were saying, you know, I, having somebody with this psychological background is going to make a difference for these things and what people are looking for. Like this stuff transcends context. Like if, whether you're talking in a business type situation like this, or if you're talking about a person's relationship or ways that they're Absolutely. moving through depression, it really does a lot of times start with how you are talking to yourself. So, so many people will say it's such a cliche, right? Like, Oh my yeah. God. Yeah. Just change the way I talk about myself. It's like, yes, actually you, you do actually have to change your expectations for yourself. That is, that is, square one yeah and i think that i think of it as changing the reference points you have for yourself like if you think about it if all you reference are your like you're looking at your bad moments um i'd rather you look at your own like instagram right like all the highlights <laughs> of your life because uh, no one posts the real stuff on instagram right? right like so so like all of the amazing like the wins you've had and the great thing about the, approaching it in this way is that you don't have to be somebody who's making a certain amount of money every year to have those reference points almost everyone you talk to will have things like incredible things that they've overcome at some point had to shift internally to make successful. Um, and so if they can reference those points and looking at this is who I am and not referencing like, oh, I'm just lazy because today I didn't want to exercise. Um, 
that's a very different person. And so tap into that guy, like tap into that girl, you know, whoever that person is, tap into your strongest self and not like define yourself by some of the things that you're struggling with. And I think, and I, I think in that, you know, when I think about roles, like the role that you and I take in that process, it really yeah. is like, it, it's helpful to talk to somebody like us through that because we can yeah. scaffold that process. And that kind of leads me to this next question, which is, so you've done some of this work. You've helped this person change a little bit of their expectations of themselves and their reference points. And I think too, when I'm working with like athletes or esports yeah. athletes, one of the things that's so major in that capacity, and I'm imagining is the same for business, is you then channel that into a way that you begin to visualize in the affirmative, what it is that you want to accomplish and how you're going to move forward. And you start dumping energy into what will this now look like as opposed to what doesn't it look like or what has it traditionally looked like? Yeah. And so when you're, when you sort of make that pivot or you start like, is that, first of all, I guess, is that something that you start doing with people? Like, do you make that pivot into now let's visualize and really think about what we're going to accomplish in that way using this? And if so, like kind of like, how do you, how do you help people make that shift and move in that direction? Because that I think is so key in terms of like, now we're forward thinking now that we have an understanding of what's going on. Right. I, I'm somebody who's really focused. Like, I think that part of our job is really directing someone's lens, right? Like, what are they looking at? What are they focusing on? What are they paying attention to? And I think that's really important in defining who we are. So I think once I orient the lens and kind of do that work or help them do that, I think people realize internally, it feels better to be in that place. Like it does feel better. Now, sometimes there's a little bit of fear, like, well, what does that mean? You know, what's, yeah. what's on the other side of that? For me, I have them determine that next, uh, you know, and I think that people are at different places, right? Like some people can't really go there or don't have the vision to put themselves there. But for me, I really push hard because most of my clients can do that work. And so that's work that I'll have them do. Like now that you kind of see where you are and who you are and what you're capable of, what does that mean for your future? Like, what does that mean about what you can do? All the goals that you have, the things you want to accomplish, the timeline that you say you want to accomplish it. Like sometimes people will tell me, oh, you know, I want to do this and I really want to do it in the next like five years. And I'm like, well, you know, if tomorrow you're going to be homeless and your mortgage is due and you don't have any source of income, how, how, how quickly could you really make that happen? And they're like, oh, I could probably make it happen in a couple of months. <laughs> well, why is this taking five years? Like, what are you doing? And I don't want you to be operating from a place of panic, right? Like that's operating from a place of panic. <laughs> yeah. But you probably could operate a lot more quickly than that five-year timeline. And I think people really underestimate how quickly things can move for them if they move. Like the world moves with you. And I think that a lot of people think the world just kind of moves apart from you. And that's really not how it happens. You have a lot more control. And I think a lot of the uh, struggles and the frustrations people face are that you know, you and I could probably talk about internal locus of control oh, yeah. and all those things, but that when people see that, like, you know, and I was, I tweeted something about like, uh, today about when people wish for something, they're separating themselves from it. It's like, there's this thing out there and, oh, it's just wonderful. I wish it could happen. Like it would fall from the sky. Uh, but if you really want that thing, like make a plan and go for it, like see what happens. Uh, you'd be surprised how often you can actually get there. And it's not like weird pie in the sky stuff. It's just right. strategic. Well, and I, so that transitions this beautifully because it was something that I will, it's, 
the the analogy I use sometimes with like, you know, when people are talking about like depression or things like that, or like when they're when they are talking about like very long term, I wish this thing would happen is I'll sometimes say, okay, like if your house was on fire, you would get out of bed. Like you would get out of bed and you would leave, right? And so getting people into that space where they recognize the amount of control they have over the environment that they're in, I think yeah. it, it's so deeply important because otherwise, yeah, you're just sort of like waiting around for really an external set of circumstances that doesn't know or care about you, not because it's malicious, but because that's just the world doesn't operate that way. And so right. finding that is so helpful. And then that, and that's what leads me into like, I will often hear, as I'm sure you do, well, if only I was more motivated in the here and now, yes. right. I could do that. And I always immediately say, let's get motivation the hell out of this conversation because <laughs> I, it, it's just not a useful thing. Yeah. When you hear the M word, what do you, what do you do with it? How do you conceptualize motivation? What, what do you, where do you see motivation as having a place within people trying to perform at their best and, and do their best? Really interesting question. Cause I think this might be an area that you and I both agree and disagree. Cool. So we agree that sometimes like you don't need motivation to get things done. Like I'm never motivated. If you ever asked me on any given day, like, are you excited to wash your clothes? I would never say like, yeah, today's the day. I can't wait to tackle laundry day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's not ever going to happen, but I'm still going to do it. And like, I go through the task and I wash dishes and like, I do all the things that I'm not particularly motivated to do and they still get done. Right. I hate doing billing. It's one of my things I really oh, hate yeah. doing. And right. There's things. So anything you love, it, you know, there's this whole myth like, oh, if you do what you love, you'll never work a day in your life. And everything you love comes with things you don't love. And that's true in relationships and business and what have you. Right. So that's, I think, the piece that you and I definitely agree. Oh, on. yeah, like, absolutely. Motivation is not important. But I think that motivation is also very misunderstood because good motivation pulls you and you don't push it. So, for example, let's say like and this is such a silly example. I hope that people in your audience like totally appreciate this. When you're dating someone that you are super into, does anyone have to motivate you to like meet them on a date or like buy them something? Like you are like pulled. You're like, whatever you want, I will like take out your trash. I will do whatever it is that you want me to do. It is <laughs> yeah. pulling you. Yep. Um, but you know, for work, sometimes if your boss asks you to do something and like you have this 15 page document due, you're like, oh, I have no motivation. You have to push it. Right. And that's where I think when you feel you have to push motivation is where you have to tell yourself it doesn't matter. I can do things whether or not I'm motivated. But I think the best things in life come when we're pulled. And that means being really excited and inspired by the things in front of us. And that's what makes it like hey, I'll like, I'll meet you for dinner anywhere. I'll fly across the country to meet with you. Like that stuff can happen in work too. And with things you're excited to study or do. And I think the best of life is when we can tap into that too. So I, the, the idea of pushing and pulling motivation, I have never heard it put that way. And like, I know for a fact that for the rest of this afternoon, I'm going to be thinking about that. <laughs> Um, because that is such a cool concept. Now, when you say tap into it, I, I would imagine that, um, if I didn't know anything about how any of this works, I would ask myself, what does that mean? How do yeah. I do that? Like, how does a person tap into this thing that like, 
Is it this thing that just sort of sits in the room and I have to like jump into it? Like how does one tap into this pulling motivation that you're describing? That's a great question. So I think you have to, and this is where the work is really personal. And I think it's personal for everyone sitting out there too, is to decide, like really look at whatever your goals are, whatever you want to do and whatever you want to achieve is to think of like, why do I want it? Right? Like, why do I want it? And for some people, I know it sounds really silly. It's going to be superficial things. Sure. Or for some people, it's going to be, you know, that you want to have an easy, comfortable life. For some people, it's I want to pay for my mom's medical bills, like whatever it happens to be for you that excites you and drives you. Maybe it's anger, even like you just want to rage because people said that you could never be anything and you're going to you are going to be something and you are going to show them. Right. Yeah. It's just awesome. Awesome saying uh, chips on shoulders, build chips in pockets. And I think that that's kind of an interesting. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. People. Yeah. But I don't. If you can tap into a force that pulls you forward, that motivation, I think it's unique for everybody. And I think you have to discover for yourself, what is it that really drives you? And then how can you set yourself up to be pulled by that in the direction you want to go? And it's personal work, but I think it's worthwhile and worth uh, thinking about because I do believe really strongly that that's why motivation is such a, a garbage concept so often is because we think we have to push it. like. I have to make myself be motivated Mm -hmm. and that's just not going to work for anybody. But again, the best things in life are when you definitely notice that pull and you're like, yeah, it's sometimes it's your work or love or passion or anything else, but when you tap into it, it's like electric and magic. And so I would be curious what, uh, if, if yours is, is different for than mine, but I think one of the things that I run into in terms of, um, barriers to what you're describing because i i absolutely like i'm right on with you with this like i, I when people find that i mean it's it's intoxicating at times yeah. like i mean it'll sometimes it'll make you even do stupid stuff but like at least you're you know you're, you're doing stuff right so right the thing that i find that gets in the way of people doing or really i guess um not getting in the way of seeing the narrative but getting in the way of like indulging that and actually acting on it is a level of judgment toward that where they might say like, you know, am I, is this a stupid thing for me to be motivated by? Is this a realistic thing? Is this appropriate? Is this okay? Like I I find so many questions will usually arise in terms of like judgment of that. And is that something that you find as well? And if so, how, what sort of like things do you see as helping people move over that barrier? I think that people doubt uh, that it sounds like a lot of like fear. I mean, a lot of that stuff is fear. Like, what if it's stupid? Well, well, what if it is stupid? I mean, like, then I guess somebody's gonna say that's stupid. But you know, at the same time, oh, no. I, right? <laughs> You've got to look at like, what's what? What if it is stupid? Right? What then? Is somebody gonna say it's stupid? Is that what you're afraid of? Like, what is really the fear? And I think that's what I try to nail down is when they start to say these things they're almost always based in fear. Self-doubt is based in fear. The feeling that they might be stupid is based in fear. And what kind of fear? Is it criticism? Is it someone's going to call you out on social media? Is it somebody's going to say something in your class or post something? Um, And you got to get into that fear and then you have to assess it. So I'm all about taking fear kind of head on and having that conversation of saying, you know, if you are afraid about self-doubt or, you know, what if it's stupid? Um, I think that you really have to say, well, what if it is? And what if you fail? Uh, what if, you know, all these things are different types of 
of, um, of difficulties. And everybody who's reached any level has faced them at some point. Yep. You know, I can remember on Twitter, some guy saying like, I don't even understand what you do. And, you know, this whole thing uh, early on, like, you know, maybe like I mean, it was many years ago. And, um, and he has pinged me recently to have, you know, like coffee or something. I was like, why are you pinging me? Like, you know, you were the person saying very negative things and, you know, step aside now and I'm going to kind of move forward. I think that it's at every point you're going to face people who doubt you in some way and you have to be prepared for that. If you want to live, you know, kind of a very safe life where you'll never take any chances, you will also probably live with a lot of frustrations and you know, a very sad exercise that anybody out there can do is go around to your parents and grandparents and ask them what they always wanted to be. Yeah. Ask them. Oh like, man. Yeah. That's tough. Right. Yeah. And, and you'll see sometimes like sometimes they're like, you know, I wanted to do this, but I didn't. And I'm really glad I didn't. And that's an awesome story. Yep. But so many times you'll see them light up with what they wanted to be. And then you'll see this kind of sadness that they never got to do it. And there's a thousand reasons or, oh, I just didn't think it was the right time or, oh, at the time I didn't think it was so important. Something stopped them. And you want to really prevent your life from becoming like having that end. And what's it worth to you? Um, you know, I guess that's the way that I begin to think about that as I address the fear and then start getting really realistic with what happens if you don't address it, you know? Absolutely. And I think, I mean, I know in my own life, having some of those conversations actually did put some of the decisions that I personally have made in the last couple of years into perspective and then actually helped me make them. And so, wow. you know, it's, I, I, I really think there is power to that of like listening. I, I mean, I, I've never really thought to like tell people that. So like, you know, of like, you should, this is a good exercise to engage in and asking people that because there really is like, you sort of look at it and you're like, okay, how, like how old am I or where am I in my life? Do I want in 10 years or 15 years to be a person that if I was approached with that question says, yeah, you know, I could have, I, I had the chance, but I decided not to. And I think there is a difference, right? Between the pragmatic, the pragmatic reason that makes right. sense that a person makes their peace with and says, you know what? I know I had the chance, but it's okay. I, I, I've yeah. made my peace with it versus the person that's like, you know, it really was fear driven and I was avoiding it. I was avoiding the fear of what it meant to actually grab something and set a goal and put that in place. And then you just kind of go like, oh, like it's th yeah. that, you know, that little yeah. bit. Of, oh, it's just it's so hard, but it really can help. It really, really can help uh, people move and push forward and sort of set up their plan. And, and, and sometimes you'll hear their fears, too. You'll hear like, yes. oh, I always wanted to do this, but I didn't think I was smart enough. Or, you know, like some of those things. And oh, that's it's like, it's like a knife. It's really it is. hard. It is. Um, so that I, I'm going to sort of dip a little bit into a question that I had from the community, because I think uh, it relates a little bit to what we're talking about and kind of where the, we're going. And this got like five people were like, yes, can you please boost this question? Cause this is one I want her to answer. So, um, I'm just going to read it and then I'll let okay. you go with it wherever you like. Um, so how would you recommend somebody learn to set appropriate and achievable goals? Yeah. Uh, and this person said, I have a tendency to set what other people think are sky high goals. But to me, they seem to be a bare minimum. In the end, I'm not able to do them. So clearly, I'm. I, it seems like I'm not correct. And I, I sort of want to ask you kind of like, how does that hit you? Where, what do you think of that question? 
Well, it's interesting, right? I mean, I think at first, one of the things I'm hearing is that like a lot of people's opinion are, are kind of shaping what you decide and don't decide to do. And I, I never am a big fan of letting other people's, you know, self-perceived limitations define what you can do. So, you know, like just because someone else thinks that's unrealistic, maybe it is unrealistic for them. Like it probably is, but yeah. it may not be unrealistic for you. And I think if it seems reasonable to you, even if it doesn't seem reasonable to you, I think that you should give it a go. Like I'm somebody who would say, if success is always a numbers game. And so I always say, if there's something that you want to achieve, you break it down and you say, if you want to be someplace in a year, right? Start breaking it down into months, start breaking that down into weeks, start breaking that down into what do I need to do, you know, Monday, Wednesdays and Fridays to push this forward and start having really tangible markers. You know, people say to have a vision board and I'm not a real big fan of that because, you know, looking at a yacht off the coast of the Mediterranean won't really get you anywhere. But if you do have like a progress board where you have like these little markers, like, you know, at the end of the month, I'm going to find a way, like, let's just say that you want to find a way to create, like some people are making money in NFTs right now or creating art online or whatever it is for you, but you know, that you're going to find a way to have a creation that you get out there and you're going to do all the research around like how to list it and the gas fees and all that kind of stuff. Then you start setting goals for yourself. Maybe this week you learn about how do you structure it? You open an account. Maybe, you know, next week you start working on your creation. At the end of the month, you have one product, one product you're going to put up. So like, I think that you can create, and I, I hope that you do take the chance to create the things that you want for yourself and you don't let other people's like limitations on themselves kind of define you. The reason why people give advice, I would seek people out for advice who actually have achieved things at the scale yes. that you're looking to achieve. Yes. Because the reason why the people around you give the advice that they do isn't ill-intentioned. It's just not what they see as realistic for themselves. And so they're kind of giving it from a self-reference point. Um, I'd ask somebody who does, you know, who has done really amazing things, is this even possible? Look at stories of other people. I'm a really big fan of reverse engineering. So if you wanted to start a company, like how did X, Y, and Z start their company who's in a similar space? Reverse engineer it. What did they do? How did they start? What are the tools they used? How much money did they have? How could you get it? You know, there are certain ways to go there. So I'm a really big fan of just, if you really believe in something, I think that, you know, it's really important to go for it as long as obviously the disclaimer, you're not hurting anybody and, you know, yeah. all of those safety things are in check, but, um, you know, you're not running away from home and all of that stuff. But yeah, I definitely think that you should find ways to make things happen that, um, that really fit into your dream because you'll end up feeling really frustrated and angry about the advice you're given if it's putting kind of cages on you. And one of my favorite sayings, you know, I grew up on a farm. One of my favorite sayings is that a cult is worth little if it doesn't break its halter. And that, you know, when we're growing up and we're small, you know, getting really feisty about things and breaking barriers and breaking boxes that we're put in is so important into being our best self. And, um, and I wouldn't let someone else's limitations define you. Yeah, people don't ever have the full story on you yeah. that you have. And it's, I, I, it, I, I hear this as a similar concept to, you know, in thinking about like performance and this goal, you know, goal achie achievement, like with athletes, right? Like you're constantly trying to make sure, like you don't want to practice with the people that are less skilled than you because it's it, you're not actually going to push into a zone of proximal development with this stuff like you're not going to see 
a level of representation of yourself that is possible when you're doing that you want to practice with people who are better than you um at, at athletics and so like obviously in life goals we're not necessarily going to quantify things as being better right or worse right. but having a conversation with a person who's been there often turns around and ends up at, they'll say something like Oh yeah, I remember being terrified of doing that. Like there's a lot of empathy that people in high positions of power and people who are achieving things can have for people who are early on in their development. And, and I think a point that you make, Mick, that I love is like, who are you surrounding yourself with? Yes. I think that's absolutely incredibly important because if you're surrounding yourself with people who are also hungry, ambitious, trying things, failing at things, succeeding at some things, really, really important. So I do appreciate that. Um, that that prompt because I think that's important when you get on Twitter or Twitch follow some people who are doing some really incredible things talk with yes. them get involved in conversations and you know be a part of it yes that like upward momentum and pulling is just yeah. oh man um all right I'm gonna read another one um I know that Dr. Mick talks a lot about how motivation is fleeting and is more important to focus on discipline are there different types of discipline for different tasks like for work or for doing schoolwork uh, or otherwise? Well, you know, like, as I've said, I think that discipline and what kind of compels you is really how you define yourself, as I've said before. So to me, although I think it comes from a very similar place, but you define yourselves differently in different areas. You know, like some people say, you know, I'm an amazing athlete, but you know, I'm not such a great student how much effort do you think they're going to put towards their studies, but they're probably incredible out on the field. <laughs> right, exactly. So I do think that how discipline evidences itself is different across all of those different areas, but it's because of how you think about yourself changes probably within all of those different areas. And so you fulfill, you kind of work to that level. Uh, so if you see yourself as like an amazing student, but maybe not the greatest athlete, you're probably going to put a lot more effort in your studies. And so if you're finding that you're struggling in a certain area, think about how you're already defining yourself, how you think about yourself in those areas and, um, and really kind of challenge yourself to change it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's see. I, I love, I could just listen to you talk about this stuff forever. So I, something that I've, um, this is this is kind of taking a couple questions and trying to kind of mash them into one and then also add a little bit cool. of my own spin to it. So something that I hear people say a lot uh, when they talk about maybe something like discipline mm -hmm. or things like imposter syndrome is yeah. they will say things like, you know, they talk about it as if it's something that hits them or as if it's something that you have like a quantifiable amount of. And right. I I tend to conceptualize like imposter syndrome and a lack of discipline as something that a person is actively participating in, meaning yeah. that they could choose to actively participate in an alternative. And so when you hear people quantify these things and say like, how much discipline do I need or how much willpower or, you know, I'm affected by this external conceptual thing like imposter syndrome. Yeah. How, how do you, how do you conceptualize those things and kind of where, where do you steer people toward when you hear things like that? I always tell people that one of the best things they can do is to 
you know, not be afraid to play to where their strengths are and where their energy is. And I'll give an example of how, like, because I think what we do is we, we compare a lot to other people. So we say, oh, you know, Elon Musk, you know, he schedules every 15 minutes of his day. And it means if I don't schedule every 15 minutes, then I'm not effectively being uh, disciplined. But, you know, what they don't talk about is that Jeff Bezos uh, doesn't take a meeting before 10 and uses what he calls putter time for three hours in the morning where he has coffee and reads the paper and doesn't do much. Uh, and he makes sure that's part of his day. Now, no one would say Jeff isn't disciplined. He's a lazy <laughs> right. man, right? <laughs> but for him, what does success look like and what are his strengths? He says for himself, success is making two or three high quality decisions every day. And, you know, when he's done at like three o'clock, he's just kind of done. For Elon Musk, he goes, success for me is that I have to know where every moment of my life is going. And he does that for him. But not to say that you don't have to be those people, but you have to find what works for you. And what I find with really um, successful people that I think works for everyone, find some things that really anchor you as far as habits that you find really bolster your energy, make you function at your best and make you happy. And then incorporate those every day. And then from there, that will help facilitate, you know, your energy and the ability to do the things that you need to do. So sometimes it's going to look like, you know, some people will say, oh, you need to you know, get up at five. You need to make your bed. You need to like there's this whole movement of people who believe you have to have this certain level of self-discipline or you will never be successful and it will never happen. And you know, it's simply not true. You need to have some habits that work for you, that energize you, that help keep you in tra on track and in line. And that's the way that I approach it. So when somebody says things like when you think about imposter syndrome, I think imposter syndrome a lot of times comes from comparison and assuming other people operate in a certain style, assuming other people uh, are a certain way. Because when I get into the assumptions people have who have imposter syndrome, they assume people are confident, people are always happy, people are always productive. Yeah. Yeah. People, I mean, like, and I'm like, where did that come from? Like, nobody operates like that so you set this unrealistically high standard and let's just talk about like you know the real deal like the rock Dwayne the rock johnson massive man obviously has tons of discipline right he trains more than i oh, ever yeah. could and right suffers from depression has talked about that very openly and like that's a guy who also he has depression where he clearly probably has struggles with motivation and yet look at the discipline on that guy i mean it's all over his body so the, it doesn't always look the same for everyone. And so don't have this unrealistic, I think people have these unrealistic views of themselves. And I think that's why we see it coming more to the forefront with social media is that the portrayal of people's lives are so curated and so false mm -hmm. that we assume that that's how other people actually live. And it's kind of not, you know? Yeah. So I, in that vein, because I, I think there is a, a kind of an undercurrent of what we've been talking about for the last couple of minutes is yeah. this idea that like you do want to engage in some form of comparison, that it is helpful to look at yeah. other templates of like what people are doing and how they're doing it. Sure. What would you say is like a healthy way for a person to engage in the art of comparison so that they're doing it in a way that is empowering them to uh, move forward as opposed to holding them down? Yeah, you know, this is going to sound really robotic. And I, I, I thought about when you were asking that question, I thought, oh, God, I sound like a robot. I think it's really important to do it strategically, not emotionally. Like to say, I want to see how this person engaged in their path to success 
but not compare on things like they seem happy all the time and I'm not, or they seem like, you know, they always feel good about themselves and I don't. I think that the strategic elements are important. Like you can look at someone like, like founder, like Sarah Blakely, founder of Spanx, first, like a female billionaire, fantastic. You can look at her photos and say, wow, that lady looks happy all the time. It's part of her brand and she does a great job branding herself. But at the end of the day, if you want to look at Sarah Blakely's, uh, you know, Instagram, it's meant to always be happy and positive. You know, she's talked behind the scenes about being really strategic that she only posts positive things because she wants you to associate positive things sure. with her brand, right? And of who course. wants negative stuff? She posts because she's aspirational. You want to have a life like her, so it's strategic again. But like, look at it through the lens of strategy rather than the lens of like, I'm not this person because everything they're doing on their end is strategic. And we don't think about it like that. We think about it as authentic and it's not, it's, it's very, especially with people who've reached certain levels, everything is curated, well thought about. It's a brand. And if you can think about it through that lens, then I think you can connect with it at the level that's appropriate. This is a strategy play. It's a brand. How do I connect with what they're doing as a strategy play and brand to, to maybe build my own brand, but it's not who they are. Yeah. You know, yeah. they're a commodity. Oh, I love the, strategize the way that you do these things. I, I've gotten a sense from, um, by the way, uh, for anybody here who does not follow Dr. Gurner on Twitter, you oh. should go do that because uh, if you like if you like the tidbit stuff that I post, she does the same thing. She posts really awesome stuff. I feel like I could retweet like everything that you ever post. So go, go follow her. Well, something that I have gotten a vibe from in listening to you talk and in like reading some of your Twitter posts is that you uh, you seem to really advocate for a level of like being intentional about how people navigate a lot of things that I think people tend to think just kind of happen or like are like, yeah, or like that there's, I don't know how I'm trying to find the words for this. I It's hard to describe. Like there's like a level of intention that you seem to advocate for with people like really be thoughtful about this, strategize this, like be in a space where you are actually taking into account various factors that you may not be taking account when you're doing these things. Are yeah. there, so I suppose that's more of a comment than it is a question. And I'm, I'm trying to think of like, I have one and I'm like trying to think of how to like, ask it which is like are there if you were gonna think kind of globally with anybody who's watching this if you were gonna pick maybe like one or two places where you really think people should be as intentional as they can be in their lives if they're wanting to really like be disciplined achieve their goals all the things we've been talking about where would you tell people to focus their beginning energy of intention on their choices right i think that small large it doesn't matter your choices. If you are intentional about the choices you make, the choice to talk to someone, the choice to tweet something, the choice to spend time with someone, the choice to turn off your phone and do something, the choice, I mean, the choice of what you decide to study, the choice of, you know, uh, what you decide to, to listen to in your music, what you, who do you decide to follow on social media? I think your choices will end up determining everything that happens in your life. And you think the small ones don't matter, but they compound, right? Like the choice to never engage with your boyfriend or girlfriend because you're on the phone on the couch 24 seven, that choice compounds. That choice where you, know, you decide that you're gonna follow a bunch of people on social media and they're all raging all the time. 
that choice is going to fill your head with an emotion that is going to compound and it will direct other choices that you make. So I think if I were to tell someone to be super intentional, the highest leverage thing they could do is be intentional about their choices because those seemingly small things and there's something everybody can do. How long do you work at your job if you hate it? You know, how much do you put up with bad behavior if you're in it or a part of it or have or subject subjected to it? Um, all of these are choices that we have. And sometimes we don't have a lot of choice in some areas. Like we feel like maybe you're in a bad situation and you don't have a lot of choice about that because you have to be in it, but you have a choice on how long you stay, how you plan, how you get out of it. Um, so there's so many different ways in which our choices influence the outcomes of our life. And I would say if I had to choose one area of intentionality, start paying attention because we make a lot of choices without intentionally making them, right? Yes. Oh, everything, everything. There's no such thing as not making a choice. So you, you are right. always actively making a choice. Like if a person says, you know, oh man, I'm trying to figure out whether I should, whether I should clean my room versus my kitchen. I don't know what choice to make. They're actively making the choice to sit and <laughs> look at their phone or whatever it is that they're doing as opposed to those two things. And I think people don't think as often as they should about how literally every moment of every day you are making a choice. And when I hear the word choice and I, when I hear the combination of intention with choice, one of the things that I think of is boundaries. And that a lot of times with people in making choices, and this will be, I think, my last question for you so that I can uh, sort of like let us wrap up. I wish, God, I wish we could just go for four hours, but I wanna be respectful of your time. So I hear choice and intention and I think boundaries and that those are such an important role because if you're going to make a choice that comes along with it, yeah, a need to set boundaries around that choice in order for that to go in the direction you want it to go. And I'm, I'm just wondering if you can sort of comment a little bit on where you see boundaries as playing a role in some of the work that you do and how you help people facilitate some of those boundaries when they're making those choices and adhere to them. Okay. Such a small question, Nick. I know, uh, right? Yeah. And I just doorknobbed you hard with that one. Right. So I think <laughs> I think that there's a lot to be said. You know, we can make choices, but those choices will only hold up as strong. It would they will only hold up as much as our own personal fortitude around them. Right. So yeah. you have to be able to be strong within yourself. And you know, it, it makes me think about the person on your stream who commented about, you know, other people are saying, you know, I think this is possible for myself. And you know, these other people say no how that choice will resolve will depend on how much they believe in themselves and the strength they have to, to follow through with it. And so that internal fortitude that they have, it is absolutely worth building. It is worth investing in. It is worth focusing on and kind of having all of your time feed that. The, the saying that I like, that Native American saying, I'm sure you're, you're familiar with it, is that we all have you know different wolves inside of us. And, and the one that grows is the one we feed. So being, again, with you talk about intentional, if you're someone who struggles with negativity or doubt, surround yourself with strength, surround yourself with positivity, surround yourself with people who are confident, who lift you up, who are you know good, and start to really intentionally limit the toxic folks in your life, the negative voices that you hear, the people who aren't really you know making you feel good about yourself and build yourself up because the more you believe in you, I mean, at the end of the day, that's what's gonna matter, right? Um, you're gonna meet people who come and go, some are gonna support you, some aren't but those choices and those boundaries there's a reason why you know people will be in an abusive relationship for far too long i mean 
it, it's fact, I think it's it seven, eight years. The average person stays it's a long time. Yep. Yeah. So it's a long time, but you know, something happens in a moment and I'm, I'm always fascinated by these moments, Nick. So maybe you can, um, you can give some insights on this, but there comes this moment that I'm fascinated by where somebody says who has gone through this for seven or eight years. And they have this moment where they say, you know, this is it. Not today. I I'm done. I'm making that choice. And I wonder why that moment, what, what is it that's magical about that moment that lets them tap into some strength inside themselves and do the thing they know they need to do. And if we can all find ways of tapping into those, those choice moments as pivots, that strength that we all carry, you can be beaten down, you can be run down, people can talk negatively about you, but internally you probably know that you are stronger than anyone else thinks and there's a way of tapping into that for you. So I, I'm fascinated by those moments and I don't know what you think happens in those moments, but it's that's an area of fascination for I, me. I share that fascination with that because I I see it as well, where it's like you, you sort of ask you like, wait a minute, where now? And I, I think it's, it, for me, I, I see it as being sort of like two faceted uh, as far as I can conceptualize it, because I certainly don't have the answer. Like, I, I think there is something that I talk with people a lot about is like, I think at the end of the day, there is this voice that's way down in there that I think you're alluding to that like, you generally can't shake. Like, you might be able to hold it off. You might be able to like, distract it for a little while. But like, it's that voice that no matter how hard you try to change its mind on something or like, it, it's it's just this thing that you just, you can't shake it. And I see it as sort of being a combination of that shows up at the same time that a person actually evaluates and creates a realistic expectation for themselves in their environment where they go, you know what? Like the not, no longer, I'm not going to deal with this anymore or I need to make that change. I think it's sort of those two things colliding. They have this, this, this gut that they can't shake plus, I'm now expecting more out of my life or out of myself. And I'm now seeing that until I do something about it, nothing's going to happen. And so now I'm going to do something about it. And I think what I've been hearing you say, and I agree with this, is like, if we can close the gap and make that happen quicker for people, yes. it makes a huge difference where now you're not looking back going, God, I wish I'd have done that 10 years ago. You're instead saying like, I listened to that and I was surrounded by the right people to help me activate that. And I created a strategy and I was intentional. And now I am moving in the direction of these goals and of what I want to do in a way that I wouldn't have otherwise done if I wasn't actually paying attention to some of these things. And instead was thinking that this was all just going to happen. That's, I think that's such a great point. And you know, like, I think that people, people think about red flags differently when they're confident in themselves versus when they're not. Yes. You know, like there's a person who will go on a date and someone's really rude to them and they'll be like, yeah, Nick, we're dating that jerk again. And then there's somebody else who goes on the same date, the same odd treatment and will be like, well, you know, he was, he did pay for dinner. Mm -hmm. He was kind of a nice guy and I shouldn't really be so hard on him. Maybe he had a bad day. And you know, like, so I think that the difference too is like actually tuning in and paying attention to that voice and, and having the confidence to go with it and to, to trust yourself. I think a lot of people struggle with trusting themselves or feel that they can't do that. And I encourage people to go all in on that if they can. Oh, oh I love it. Out of respect for, uh, for your time, I am going so to, uh, to end us here. Uh, Chad, I know I didn't get to all of the questions. Uh, I tried to sort of 
funnel some of them and create them into like one mishmash to hopefully get as many of them addressed as we could um, as possible. I really want to thank you for joining and for taking time out of your very busy schedule to hang out with us. It really means the world to me that you did that. Um, thank you so much.